Good evening, dummies. Episode 183, July 7th, 828 p.m. It's a Wednesday. Got back from D.C. late this afternoon. Had a wonderful time. Got to see uh, Marine One Chopper fly over. You know, and I don't care who's in it, whether it's Joe Biden, Trump, or whatever. It's pretty cool. I mean, you've got to show some deference and take a knee to the presidency and respect it at least. Maybe not the man, but you can respect the office. And to see that uh, amazing piece of equipment fly across downtown Washington, D.C. was just kind of awe-inspiring. It was actually really cool. Other way, you know, it, it just was neat to see. That's all. I mean, I've seen Air Force One fly over a couple times, and, and I felt the same way. Where is it gone? What discussions are being taken place? What's happening? It's just intriguing. But what also is intriguing is episode 182, the three-fifths compromise was talked about. We encroached upon that. And Britney Spears, baby, hit me one more time. No, I don't have the music tonight. And it obviously drew up a lot of comments. Some of them were good. Some of them were bad. Some people said they didn't like what I said, and they felt that it was racist. Some people said that it was the best way that it's been articulated to them, and now they understand it more than ever. All of those things are valid. But then there was one. No, it wasn't my dum-dum, my special dum-dum, my stalker dum-dum. It was somebody who is actually even crazier than him, who probably would read this and go, holy crap, now that guy's crazy. This will be a topic of ours, so I'm going to just go ahead and read you and give you a high level, and then we're going to dive into it on why everything this guy said is wrong, which is interesting because he had a manifesto of things to say. It's interesting. RB commented, why are you bullshitting USA citizens? Immediately, I know this guy's not from the United States. Nobody calls U.S. citizens USA citizens. So he's from the overseas, which means he knows nothing about our history and means that whatever he read one time is gospel and decided to lock in on an idea, and that becomes his ideological belief. The way he defends this is absolutely fantastic. I've never seen such accuracy and, and, and just imperfection be thrown around lackadaisically throwing spaghetti at the wall, so to speak, to see if it sticks and missing every single time. There's not one thing that he says that is accurate in his manifesto. Let's go into it. He says for accuracy and clarity in USA, again, USA political, governmental, governmental, and historical discussions, it is often better to use terms like liberal and conservative rather than the party labels such as Democrat or Republican. Liberal and conservative aren't party labels? What about the Whig Party? What about the Federalist Party? What about the Tea Party? Bull Moose Party? Green Party? No? Okay. Well, those are all parties too. And Republican and Democrat on the entomology of political spectrum happened to be the top two in like the KP Kafka's for the animal, the kingdom phylum class order, whatever, whatever genus and species for animals. Well, for the political spectrum, it starts with Democrat and Republican most assuredly. But of course you knew that. The next thing he says is it was conservative. And by the way, where did you read this? That you're supposed to only say conservatives or liberals, never Democrat or Republican in the discussion, because that's ridiculous. He says, it was conservatives, in quotes, who were the slaver terrorists. I want you to note how many times this guy says terrorists, slavers. It's interesting. Like, you need to go ahead and exemplify the word slaver. Like, slaver is not bad enough. Slavery is not bad enough that you need to put terrorists on it. Why don't you say slaver macaroni noodle buttheads? Slavers is enough. Anyone who believes in slavery or condones slavery, terrorists isn't needed. They're just assholes. It was conservatives who wrote a terrorist welfare benefit into the Constitution. 
which encouraged slaver terrorism and rewarded the terrorists with excessive national governmental power, a.k.a. the Electoral College and three-fifths rule. What? What? The Electoral College, explain to me how the, just really simple, what, what is your definition of the Electoral College? Do you think it's a bunch of people who went to college who get to vote? You have no idea what the Electoral College is. It's obvious. It's an embodiment. It's not a person. It's not even a thing. It's based upon population and that each state gets a certain amount of votes based upon the population. That couldn't be any more non-racist. Nobody's discounted. In fact, we have anywhere from 21 million illegals in this country who get to vote. It's really open-ended for everybody. Explain to me why that's racist. And I already explained the three-fifths compromise. It had nothing to do with the color of people's skin. That is one of the biggest misnomers about the Constitution. He says, it was conservatives who made a lame attempt at forming a separate country based solely on terrorism. Uh, what? What? Conservatives did that? Really? Really? Who was the party of Lincoln? Riddle me that, Batman. Jim Crow laws? Really? Who instituted Jim Crow laws? Manifest Destiny? Who was responsible for that? Which president went ahead and implemented Manifest Destiny? Could it have been uh, Woodrow Wilson? He wasn't a, a Republican. He wasn't a conservative. He was a progressive Democrat. No facts in this whatsoever. It's all supposition and it's all batshit ramblings. The CSA, Confederate States of America, it was conservatives who brought genocide to the American First Nations. It was the conservatives who formed the KKK and similar terrorist gangs. No, it wasn't. And I've proven that ad nauseum on this show. It was conservatives who wrote the terrorist Jim Crow laws. No. It was conservatives who tortured and lynched blacks for entertainment. No. It was is conservatives who honored their heritage of hate. No. It was conservatives who became so butthurt about losing their welfare benefit, they went to war to preserve the free stuff awarded to terrorist slavers, the CSA. No. It was conservatives who were so ashamed of their terrorist crimes against humanity, they revised the history books and invented the lost cause fairy tale to deflect attention away from the, their terrorism. No! And isn't it convenient that they just happened to overwrite the history that you actually believe took place? How convenient. Isn't that kind of like how we switched parties in the 60s and the South really was Republicans and Democrats were up north and they're the party of Lincoln? Yeah, I've blown that bullshit apart too. Bro, watch an episode or two. You might actually learn something. It was conservatives who invented Manifest Destiny and a lame attempt to justify their genocide. No, it wasn't. No, not at all. It was actually a Democratic newspaper, a propaganda machine, and a writer who mentioned Manifest Destiny. And over 60 years later, Woodrow Wilson made it policy. Once again, he's a Democrat. In a lame attempt to justify their genocide, it was conservatives who erected loser trophies and monuments to honor CSA terrorists and CAS, CSA terrorism. No, no, no. You're saying that Republicans, conservatives in the southern states? Sir, you are so misinformed, and I am going to literally just browbeat you to the point where I'm going to knock you back to Mars, the planet you came from. It was is conservatives who attempted to hide their terroristic greed under the guise of patriotism, patriotism and Christianity. Now you're going after patriots and Christians. You're a very popular guy at your social club, I'm sure. There is a whole other manifesto after that. I just deleted it and I blocked him. Why? Why would I block him? There's a couple reasons. 
One is I'm not going to have somebody post things that are absolutely blatantly untrue. You are not going to come on my page and say that all Republicans are racist and KKK members and lie on the Constitution. You're not going to do it. I'm not going to allow it. It's not censorship. It's just not true. A library wouldn't allow their shit in their, uh, in their, in their library. A librarian wouldn't allow it. On my show, I try to have things that are as factual as I can possibly have. And if it's opinion, I say so. But to say these are facts and not supposition is completely an abortion of the truth. Once you said it was fact, you lost all credibility. I will not allow that on my page. People don't understand. They say it's censorship. No. I mean, if you allow Facebook to do it, why can't I do it? I mean, am I not just helping Mark Zuckerberg? Am I not just giving Dorsey what they want, which is no fake news? Well, I don't believe in it. And you're not going to misrepresent the Constitution on my watch. And that leads us to our first conversation tonight and topic. What color is the bat shit in your cave? I am going to dissect this and take this guy apart line by line. And you might say, I have no facts, because that was the first thing that he said. You have no facts. Well, the U.S. Constitution, Supreme Court cases, history books, and also documents that can support everything I am saying and about to say in this next segment. Those are the facts that are on my side, and they're with me constantly. These uh, books that you say have been rewritten, you can go anywhere in Washington and find a copy of these for about $7 and get yourself a rolled-up version of them. And if you really believe it's been rewritten, the actual one it was written on is still preserved and being shown, unless you're a conspiracy theorist and think that that was actually stole by Nicolas Cage and replaced with a store-bought copy. It's possible. Which way the Republican wind blows? Cheney versus Trump. This is going to be a huge dilemma. Where are the Republicans going to go? Who are they going to support? What will happen? We're going to talk about that. 2024 is right around the corner. 2022 is going to show us some things. It's going to have some, uh, some, uh, some landing signs. It's going to have some a lighthouse cresting upon the horizon. It's going to give us a glimpse into the future of what could possibly happen with the Republican Party shortly. We'll talk about that. And since Biden was there when it was written, I guess he should be able to tell us about the Second Amendment, and he is going to. He tells us that the Second Amendment was actually throttled by the Founding Fathers and adapted and amended, which is inaccurate. So I'm going to call him out on that, tell you why the Second Amendment is important, and we're going to have a damn good show tonight. I hope you enjoy. Sorry for my commentator on YouTube. You're going to watch it anyway. Anyone who I ban makes a second account. They always do. I know my stalker does too and watches my show at nauseum and probably has lotion and he puts it on his skin or he gets the hose again. And that's fine. How do you get a liberal arts graduate off your porch? Simply, you pay him for the pizza. from an undisclosed location always honest always direct so sit back relax don't unfriend me starts right now Hello, dummies. It is wonderful to see you. And remember, dummies is not a negative thing. My dummies are the don't unfriend me's. Barstool Sports have their stoolies. We have dummies. My name is Matthew Spear. I am the hostess with the mostess. I'm going to bring you the show tonight. Remember, we also have our dum-dums and our new mascot for dum-dums, Dusty Dinkleman. 
Dusty is a close personal friend has been wanting to be on my show for a long time. And here he is Dusty Dinkelman in full force, two-year-old picture drawing with a two-year-old quality show. Finally got what you wanted. You're on my show and you will be forever. Dum-dums are the knuckleheads. They are the people like the gentleman who stopped by RB who literally have nothing to say except for regurgitated talking points. They don't want to have a conversation. They don't want to learn anything new. They simply want to make you look a certain way in their own eyes so they can get their endorphin hit and then move on and masturbate to the JCPenney's catalog, which is about the only relationship they'll ever have. Because anything meaningful and true to invest in is far beyond their ability to grasp onto. Don't be a dumb dumb, be a dummy. You can be a dummy by going over to my social media sites at Don't Unfriend Me Host over on the Facebook and Anchor, and then you can go to Don't Unfriend Me for Instagram and YouTube. Stop by Instagram and YouTube, trying to grow the channels. They're actually really slow. Swing by if you could watch this video and then just stop by YouTube or watch it on YouTube. Throw me a follow, subscribe, like, and share. I greatly appreciate that. In the lower right-hand corner right here, you can click the red envelope and subscribe to my YouTube channel. I would appreciate it mucho. If social media isn't your thing, go to don'tunfriendme.com. You can see all my videos, my podcasts, and everything instead of the social media quagmire and go directly to the old World Wide Webs, the internets, the thing that Al Gore created. What color is the batshit in your cave? We got to hear a long intro tonight about a gentleman who came on and obviously challenged my thought, press on, uh, thought process on the three-fifth compromise to also call me a terrorist slaver since I'm a conservative. I want to be very, very clear. Everything he said was incorrect, and now we're about to prove it. After the Civil War, there was a period from about 1865 to 1877 where federal laws offered observable protection of civil rights for former slaves and free blacks. However, starting in the 1870s, as the Southern economy continued its decline, Democrats took over power in Southern legislatures and used intimidation tactics to suppress black voters. Tactics included violence against blacks, and those tactics continued well into the 1900s. Lynchings were common form of terrorism practiced against blacks to intimidate them. It is important to remember that the Democrats and Republicans of the late 1800s were very different parties from their current iterations. I tried to contact some of the historical documents and say, folks, you're supposed to use conservative and liberal, but they just decided to use Democrats and Republicans. I'm sorry, RB. They obviously are ignoramuses, and hopefully one day they'll change their abhorrent ways. Republicans in the time of the Civil War and directly after were literally the party of Lincoln and anathema to the South, which basically means the antithesis, the opposite, complete opposite. As white Southern Democrats took over legislatures in the former Confederate states, they began passing more restrictive voter registration and electoral laws, as well as passing legislation to segregate blacks and whites. When it comes to Jim Crow and civil rights, 46 Democrats and 27 Republicans were in favor of the bill. You hear all the time that Democrats did not support the bill. That's not true. Most Democrats did at that point. John F. Kennedy, for God's sakes, and his brother Robert Kennedy tried to push it through before the assassination and was finally wrapped up by LBJ, also a Democrat in name only. He was a dino. But Democrats most assuredly supported. Ah, but there is a catch. Also, the largest portion and the longest filibuster in history, which is actually 60 days, not 75 like they say, I'm giving credit to Democrats, were also not in favor of the bill. The 21 Democrats, all from southern or border states, opposed it, along with six Republicans, to be transparent with you, also opposed civil rights and the abolishment of Jim Crow laws. 
So to be fair, not all Democrats were racist back then, just the ones from the southern states. And the reason why is this went over from the Civil War from 1846 all the way up into the 50s and 60s, when the party supposedly changed sides, which isn't true. The Democrats simply changed their policy and became the representatives for the worker and the unions and, honestly, the minorities. It was a culture shift, and they took advantage of it on a lie. Abraham Lincoln was a Republican, not a conservative. The Republicans held their convention in Chicago. Lincoln was chosen with overwhelming support. Stephen Douglas was the Democrat from the North. The Democratic Party was split. Northern Democrats wished for further compromise over slavery. Douglas was chosen as their candidate. And those are the votes that came up from out of the South, which were from the North, around Republican and conservative views. John Breckinridge was a Democrat for the South. The Southern Democrats wanted no compromise on slavery. They wished to see slavery guaranteed and were trying to take over the party. They left the Democratic Convention in Baltimore and selected their own candidate, John Breckinridge. John Bell was a Constitutional Union Party. Do you see why we don't just simply say conservatives and liberals? John Bell Constitutional, Constitutional Union Party. The Constitutional Union Party was trying to prevent the country dividing over the issue of slavery. The rise of the Republican Party in the 1850s. The Republican Party was formed after the Kansas-Nebraska Act in 1854. This act allowed individual states to decide whether they would be a free or slave state. The party became very popular in the North. The policies that made them popular included supporting the Union and strong central government, being opposed to slavery, spreading especially into the new lands that were opening up in the West, so much for the left coast, supporting business and industry, supporting westward expansion, but for free settlers, not settlers with slaves supporting the building of a railway that would stretch across the continent. This would help westward expansion and help trade. The unpopularity in the South, the Republican Party were not popular in the South. Southerners believed that they wished to abolish slavery. In the 1860 election, the Republican candidate, Abraham Lincoln, won all the northern states. In the South, Lincoln was very unpopular. His name did not even appear in some of the ballot papers, and he won no seats. This widened the divide between the North and South. Many in the South now felt that they had to secede from the North. The new mindset was crystallized by the progressive champion Woodrow Wilson and the famous doctrine of moral diplomacy. According to Wilson, America was special. It did not have to respect the borders of other nations. Instead, the country was tasked with determining which foreign countries were good and which were evil. Manifest destiny. Remember when you took a shot at patriotism and Christianity? Yeah, that was old Woody Wilson, one of your heroes, I'm sure. Once the judgment had been made, Americans had an imperative to act, even to fight, in order to restore justice to the world. This is where populism takes over. Thus, millions of soldiers were sent off to fight in World War I. The, the problem with this imperial conflict was to make the world safe for democracy. And it's interesting that people call Republicans imperialists. Some of the largest wars ever fought were started by the Democratic Party. John L. O'Sullivan was the editor of, editor of a magazine that served as an organ for the Democratic Party and essentially a mouthpiece for the Democratic Party. And of a partisan newspaper, first wrote of Manifest Destiny in 1845. But at the time, he did not think the words were necessarily profound. In Ripon, Wisconsin, former members of the Whig Party, Whig Party, Republicans met to establish a new party to oppose the spread of slavery into the Western territories. The Whig Party, which was formed in 1834 to oppose the tyranny of President Andrew Jackson, a liberal, had shown itself incapable of coping with the national crisis over slavery. Here's the real story. 
in a nutshell. Let's go into it. The American Civil War ended in 1865. But it wasn't over. A new conflict immediately began. The North won the first war, and the South won the second. The second war isn't as well known. To truly understand American history, one needs to understand how this happened and why. And not from R.B.'s point of view, or anyone else who went to basic public education and didn't question anything they learned. I challenge you to actually read a book, and not just one. Go through the history Live in the States, visit these sites, and you will learn the truth very quickly. Those years that I referenced earlier, immediately following the end of the Civil War, 1865 to 1877, are known in American history as the Reconstruction Period. And that's the word you're looking for, not slavery, terrorism. The Reconstruction, what should have been a glorious chapter in America's story, the full integration of 3.9 million freed slaves that I referred to last night, became a shameful one. Begin with the assassination of Republican President Abraham Lincoln. This is probably my biggest fact here, was Mr. Booth. John Wilkes Booth was a, what? Republican? Who shot a Republican? You and I both know that's not true. He was a deep South with ties to the Ku Klux Klan and also a Confederate army. His views on slavery were pronounced, his family was prolific, and he felt that Abraham Lincoln needed to die in order for the South to prosper and rise up once again, period. And anyone who opposed Abraham Lincoln most certainly was the opposite party of what Abraham Lincoln was in, which was Republicans. One week after the Civil War effectively ended, the one man with political savvy and shrewdness to have guided Reconstruction was gone. His successor was Vice President Andrew Johnson, a Tennessee Democrat. Johnson was the rare Southern politician who stayed loyal to the Union during the Civil War. Lincoln added him to his re-election ticket in 1864 as a gesture of bi-wartime bipartisanship. But Johnson was wholly unprepared for the task. Under his Reconstruction plan, the defeated rebels would be allowed to return to power, almost if they had never left. The only requirement to rejoin the Union was that they agree to ratify the 13th Amendment, and abolish slavery. This was fine with the old Southern Democratic ruling class. By agreeing to abolish slavery, they would actually increase their political power, whereas the Constitution's old three-fifths clause limited slave states to account only three-fifths of their slaves for the purpose of determining representation in Congress, as I talked about last night. After the Civil War, the Southern states were able to count 100% of the freed slaves. This would ensure the return to Congress of Southern Democrats. Once again, not based upon skin color or if they're an actual person or not. The Constitution says that all men are created equal. This was simply the elected representatives based upon the population. And this favored the Southern Democrats and in even greater numbers than before the rebellion, allowing them, with the help of their Democratic Party allies in the North, to fight Republican efforts to secure the citizenship rights of the former slaves. Johnson's plan set off three years of bitter political warfare. The Republicans in Congress created their own congressional reconstruction plan. Still in the overall majority there, they reorganized 10 of the southern states into military occupation zones, requiring them to write new state constitutions that recognize black civil rights before they could be readmitted to the Union. Over fierce Democratic opposition, the Republicans also managed to pass two new amendments to the Constitution, the 14th and 15th Amendment. No, not Democrats, the Republicans. Guaranteeing due process in law and voting rights in the elections. 
Those rights enabled the former slaves to help elect new state governments, to hold office, and even to send the first black representative and senators to Congress. All Republicans supported this unanimously. Most important, in 1869, with the help of 500,000 votes from the newly enfranchised blacks, a new Republican president, Ulysses S. Grant, took office. Grant was solidly behind the Congressional Reconstruction Plan, but a new problem arose. Disgruntled Southern whites organized themselves into ad hoc militias to terrorize Southern blacks and their white Republican supporters. Overall into silence. The largest and most famous of these militias went by a still familiar name to most of us, the Ku Klux Klan. Remember those other terrorist groups that you had mentioned? Also, dropped from the same cloth. President Grant fought the Klan and other like-minded terror groups, but the fight required an extended military intervention to keep the peace, and that cost time and money. Grant also had to deal with the Northern Democrats, who were sympathetic to Southern racism. With each new election, 1868, 1870, and 1872, they gained more congressional seats and more power. And then, in 1873, a major financial depression began. Economically desperate, anxious to put the remnants of the Civil War behind them, voters gave control of the House of Representatives back to the Democrats in the 1874 midterm elections. Grant left office in 1877. Soon after, the last Republican state government in the South were overthrown. Black voters were disenfranchised. Jim Crow racial segregation became the order, and the South returned to the social and economic backwardness that they've grown accustomed to. What could we have done better? First, we should have imposed a real occupation on the defeated Confederacy until a new political generation grew up in the South, which learned a newer lesson about race and rights than white supremacy. Second, we should have gotten land ownership into the hands of the freed slaves and brought the South into the same world of free markets, economic mobility, small-scale manufacturing, and industry that Lincoln's Republicans advocated. But the truth is that the North had won the war, but the South had won the peace. And that's the real story of Reconstruction. R.B., you don't know anything about American history. At the very least, I would respect you as a human being who has a brain and has the capability of researching and comprehending things. But you, my friend, obviously have no earthly idea what you're talking about. And more importantly, once I establish that you are full of shit and you don't have one fact and you wouldn't know of if it sat and wiggled on your face, you're not even an American. And maybe that's wrong, but I don't give a shit. Disparaging the Constitution and putting lies on anyone is absolutely incorrect. And as I defended the Democrats that not all of them are racist in the South, I will say it again. It was a small portion, but it was still a larger portion than any Republican. It's not this that I believe that Ku Klux Klan and racism and segregation, Jim Crow laws, putting Japanese in internment camps are on the head of all Democrats. I refuse to say that, and I will not. But what pisses me off is when they try to blame us. My comeback is, wait a second. The truth is, it wasn't us. It was your party. Stop trying to put your garbage on us. That is the only time I bring it up. It certainly isn't to put that tassel or that moniker on their name like they do against us. Which way the Republican wind blows after a weekend when we celebrated our nation's independence and as we also mark the six-month anniversary of what history will record as an especially horrific assault on our democracy. 
The establishment of a select congressional committee last week to examine the January 6th Capitol riots is important for two reasons. First, the investigation will be the best opportunity to learn about the causes of the violence and also how to protect against similar insurrections in the future. But the decision of Republican Representative Liz Cheney to join the committee lays the groundwork for a seminal battle between the two wings of the GOP that could establish the party's fundamental identity for years to come. I've said this before. I am absolutely against the insurrection. I understand that people were disenfranchised. I understand they believed something that was not true. And I also believe that they were incensed to the point of believing things with no fact which is the worst thing you can possibly do. I don't condone the actions. I believe that they had an opportunity to go into that Capitol and go on the floor and be heard. It is the people's house after all, and they had every right to do so. But the moment that they started breaking things, looting, vandalizing, and threatening is the way that we should treat Black Lives Matter with impunity and justice. I don't care which side they're on. It was wrong. Even before Donald Trump left office earlier this year, the battle lines for the soul of the Republican Party had begun to harden. Trump's strongest supporters continued to stay fiercely loyal to him, while the more traditional conservatives, who largely went into hiding over the past four years, had begun to carefully reemerge and let it be known that the former president's conduct and agenda are unacceptable to them, and it is. And although I believe that the last three months of Donald Trump's presidency was unacceptable, I thought he was fantastic for the first three years and six months, and I will tell you why there's a litany of reasons. I wasn't particularly proud of his actions in the last three. Cheney, who had been the third highest ranking member of the GOP House leadership, emerged as one of Trump's most vocal critics and ultimately became one of 10 House Republicans to vote for his impeachment. Although she survived the first attempt of Trump supporters to remove her from her leadership role earlier this year, by May she had been voted out of that position by the Republicans and has since become even louder in her denunciations of the former president. So when House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced last week that she would be forming a select committee to scrutinize the events of January 6th, it was not surprising that she would name Cheney as one of the members of that committee. I've said it before. I don't like Pelosi's politics, but damn it, she's really good at her job. It was a very smart move. You want the most bloodthirsty Republican going after Donald Trump, and Cheney most assuredly is it. Pelosi appointed the majority of the committee members from her own Democratic Party and set aside several other spots to be filled by Republican leader Kevin McCarthy. But she also seemed to take special pleasure in placing a GOP renegade like Cheney in such a high-profile position. Pelosi knows that Cheney's likely criticism of Trump's role in encouraging the rioters will provide a bipartisan veneer for the committee's findings. And this remains to be seen. This is why we're doing a fact-finding mission. Why are we talking about like it's a fact that Donald Trump incensed the rioters? Listen, I understand people want to hear what they want to hear. We knew this when he said that there were very good people on both sides, and they didn't listen to the full speech, and then all of a sudden he was supporting the KKK and the Proud Boys. Listen, listen to it again. The man was pumping up his base. He didn't say, storm the Capitol and let's kill everybody. Let's go ahead and break in and take people hostages with handcuffs. This was all predetermined before him. However, his rhetoric about a stolen election... When you use words like that with absolutely no proof, and I'm sorry, I have read every damn document. I covered this for three months. I told everybody there wasn't proof on this, that it was all conjecture and supposition. And every time it was brought on court cases, it was knocked down and expunged. Am I saying that there was an election fraud? No, I'm not saying that. Was there massive enough scale to overturn an election? No. I don't believe there was. And until there's proof, I will not say it. Otherwise, I would be RB and the other idiots who come on this page and spew things that are not factual. 
But getting back to this, Cheney will benefit as well from this because her profile will grow even more over the course of this investigation. There is no shortage of Republican voices who will be looking to chart a course for the party's future away from Trump, but none will have the visibility of Cheney in her new role. There is already speculation that she might seek the presidency in 2024, God help us all. But whether or not she chooses to run, she will now be in a particular impactful position to define the message and agenda for the party's post-Trump faction. But Cheney's opportunity is also accompanied by some potential peril. Trump has been backing challengers to all of the Republican House members who voted for impeachment, and Cheney's defeat at the hands of one of his loyalists would be especially gratifying to him. So Cheney will have to decide whether to collaborate her comments, calibrate her comments about Trump in hopes of lessening the motivation of his supporters against her, which it's too late for that, or whether to continue her high volume and high vitriol approach to maximize her presence as the leader of the anti-Trumpers, and she most certainly will. The stakes are super high, not just for Cheney herself, but for the fight for control of the party. If Cheney survives her re-election campaign, it will give tremendous confidence to other Republican candidates who want their party to move away from Trump. But if she is defeated, which I believe she will, it will discourage those dissidents from risking similar confrontations with Trump and his followers. It's difficult to see next year's midterm elections settling the Republicans' internal division one way or the other. I believe it's going to be actually handled in Alabama. There's a very important race there, and Alabama is most assuredly Republican. It will set the tone for the other states in the area. But this fight will not be decided until the party picks its next presidential nominee three years from now. It's actually going to be closer to two. Even though officially they'll select, we'll know who the frontrunner is quickly. If Trump's in it, he's going to be it. If it's not Trump, it's going to be somebody else. See how that works? But the Cheney versus Trump preliminary bout could provide an early insight into whether the GOP is ready to move beyond their former president or head into the 2024 election once again with him as their leader. I want Donald Trump in the Republican Party. I want him to influence the Republican Party. I like his policies. I believe he is the most Republican leader we have had in even more than Reagan. Reagan had a lot of Democratic views. He is a true conservative, at least from a policy standpoint. I don't care what you say about religion and him sleeping with other women and his business affairs. I don't care about any of that. All I want as the president is to go ahead and have small government, not raise taxes, and defend this country with a larger military. And the rest will somehow work itself out. A good economy will help. But Trump has a lot of negative attachment to him. He is the Hillary Clinton to the Democratic Party. We despise Hillary and ensured that she would never, ever become president, and she will never run again because she won't win. Donald Trump to the Democrats are our Hillary Clinton. They will rise up and come out in droves again. They will beg, start, beg, steal, and borrow to ensure he doesn't win, sending out as many ballots as they can, cheating in any way that they can, and honestly having him behind the scenes at every rally, taking DeSantis or Nikki Haley or someone else under his wing and on his coattails would most assuredly guarantee a 2024 win for Republicans. Democrats are naive. They don't even get involved until about four months into the real meat of the election. By that time, they won't even know who the Republican candidate is, and they will probably not even care what Joe Biden has done. The momentum to get Trump out is over. If we bring him back, there's a good chance that we will incite the Democrats and lose in 2024. It's a dilemma, and it's a conundrum, and one that I cannot wait to share with you. Together, it should be fun. Let's see what happens. Since Biden was there when it was written, I guess he's the one to talk about the Second Amendment. 
But here is an interesting take. The Second Amendment from the day it was passed limited the type of people who could own a gun and what type of weapon you could own, said President Joe Biden. His plan was to curb rising violence and rely on several steps, more aid to local police departments, expanding job programs for young adults, more violence intervention programs, and tougher measures to shut down gun sellers who break federal laws. Quote, rogue gun dealers feel like they can get away with selling guns to people who aren't legally allowed to own them, Biden said June 23rd. There has always been the ability to limit, rationally limit the type of weapon that can be owned and who can own it. And Biden said that power was rooted in history. Quote, the Second Amendment from the day it was passed limited the type of people who could own a gun and what type of weapon you could own, Biden said. You couldn't buy a cannon. We reached out to the White House, is what uh, the reporters who actually covered this said, and received no comment. But Biden's statement is not accurate in history. During the campaign, Biden made a similar claim about cannons in the Revolutionary War and who could own them. This was actually rated by many fact checkers as completely false which is interesting because they would say, well, it's mostly true. (laughs) This time on top of that, Biden misrepresents what the Second Amendment says. The Second Amendment places no limits. And this is done by experts. The text of the Second Amendment, in short, a well-regulated militia, comma, being necessary to the security of a free state, comma, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. University of Tennessee law professor Glenn Harlan Reynolds said the amendment's few words speak for themselves. The Second Amendment places no limits on individual ownership of cannon or any other arms. There have been many court cases to resolve whether the amendment confers an individual right to bear arms. In 2008, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that it does. Setting aside ongoing disagreements over that ruling, Fordham University law professor Nicholas Johnson said, The amendment limited government action, not people. The first federal gun control law does not appear until the 20th century, said Johnson. That law, the National Firearms Act, came in 1934 when machine guns were the weapon of choice of Prohibition-era gangsters that compone the Chicago mob. The law was drafted before Prohibition ended in 1933 when U.S. Attorney General Homer Cummings made the case for the law before the House Ways and Means Committees. He based it on the government's power to tax and regulate interstate commerce, not the Second Amendment. Quote, if we made a statute absolutely forbidding any human being to have a machine gun, you might say there is some constitutional question involved. Cummings said April 16, 1934, but when you say we will tax the machine gun and when you say that the absence of a license showing payment of the tax has been made indicates that a crime has been perpetrated, you are easily within the law. From the way Biden put it, the Second Amendment regulated weapons. The more immediate driver in 1787 was the desire to keep the federal government in check. The framers of the Constitution agreed that a federal government might need a standing army, but coming out from under one despot, they wanted to avoid creating another. This was something that the Federalists and Anti-Federalists could agree on, wrote Valparaiso law professor David Vanderkoy. Quote, both believed the greatest danger, danger to the new Republican, Republic was tyrannical government and that the ultimate check on tyranny was an armed population, Vanderkoy wrote in 1994. Restricting weapons to control perceived threats There were some state and local laws after the Second Amendment was adopted in 1792 that limited firearms. The most sweeping ones barred black people, free or enslaved, from owning them. In 1792, Virginia law, for example, said, No Negro or mulatto whatsoever shall keep or carry any gun, powder, shot, club, or other weapon whatsoever. 
Historian Saul Cornell at Fordham found other laws aimed at controlling certain groups. Some banned gun ownership by people who backed the British. Others targeted Native Americans. And Cornell also pointed to a 1795 Massachusetts law that mainly targeted rioters, but gave local authorities broad latitude to arrest people who carried firearms. The NRA will call out Biden correctly that there were no modern-style gun control laws in the founding era era because there was little interpersonal gun violence among persons of European origin, Cornell said. Gun control groups will correctly say that a variety of robust regulations existed at the time of the Second Amendment and that the founders feared anarchy as much as tyranny. Cornell argues that for about the first 50 years after passage of the Second Amendment, gun technology was limited. The issues of crime and safety that drive the modern debate he said didn't begin to emerge until manufacturers began producing reliable, affordable guns in greater volume. Biden said that from the start, the Second Amendment limited the type of people who could own a gun and what type of weapon you could own. The Second Amendment limited governmental power, not the rights of the individuals. Laws at the time that limited firearm ownership were primarily racist, aimed at controlling black people and Native Americans. Broadly, gun regulation came decades after passage of the Second, when gun technology changed. The first national gun regulation law did not rely on the Second Amendment at all. In summation, it is in fact our right for the Declaration of Independence to determine our own fate and pursuit of happiness. It is our right to expect reasonable safety. It is our right to protect the Republic and to protect the Constitution of these United States, not these United States of America, and its amendments. It is our duty per the Declaration to cast off those who wantonly would take from us without our permission. The Second Amendment wasn't written for citizens who reside in rural areas of our country. This is a misconception by the left. Every citizen has the right to nature's first right of self-defense. People own guns for a variety of reasons, but the primary one is personal defense. We are ultimately responsible for our personal defense and the defense of loved ones. Law enforcement might have an obligation to protect you, but they can't always do that. It's not out of malice, but because of logistics. There simply aren't enough police officers to actively protect the citizens of the country from violence. A firearm allows us to protect ourselves from dangers, and some 600,000 events each year are stopped or thwarted by the possession of firearms. Democrats point to gun violence in America, and this is a concern, but just note that not one mass shooting was by an NRA member or anyone with a concealed carry permit. Gun violence in America should be laid at the feet of Democrats who control large metropolitan areas and refuse to provide safety or rights in cities that have the strictest gun controls allowed. Our forefathers wrote the Declaration of Independence and listed the reasons why and grievances against the King of England and his authoritarian rule. During the Revolutionary War, ordinary citizens took up arms against a tyrannical government. We were an armed citizenry willing to fight for our beliefs. Without weapons, we would have had no recourse but to be subjected to England's rule. When our forefathers wrote the Second Amendment, they kept in mind the first law of nature's right to self-defense, even from our own government, and not from a rabid deer or deranged beaver who had it out for us. It's not for hunting. It's not for sport. It's to stop the very people who want to take them away from taking them away. Folks, that's it for my show tonight, 183. Thank you so much for stopping by. I hope you enjoyed it. Have a great night. Have a great weekend. I know it's not the weekend yet. It's Wednesday, but it feels really close. Like tomorrow's Thursday, and then it's Friday. Friday. Got to get down on Friday for the weekend. Weekend. I don't have that sound either. Folks, 
Veteran Crisis Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. If you wouldn't mind, if you have a veteran who is struggling, having problems, who is not doing well, reach out. Traumatic brain injury, PTS, anxiety, depression are all real things, and they need your help to get better. Veteran Crisis Hotline is a great step to get there. If you can't get that veteran to talk, reach out to me. I'll see what I can do. Veterans sometimes can talk to veterans. And if that doesn't work, you can go to donutfriendly.com, click on the VCL link, and be connected to a Skype operator from VCL immediately. And if you are a civilian, they will help you as well. They won't turn anyone away. Folks, that's it for me tonight. Please give me a like, share, follow, and subscribe. It is wonderful to have you watching. Stop by YouTube, Instagram. Also, give me a follow and a subscribe. It would mean a great deal. And if you just go below and hit like or subscribe on Facebook, follow, whatever it is, I would appreciate it. Have a great night. I will see you tomorrow for 184. Go Stros and go US of A or just the United States. Good night.